Welcome to the History Slam podcast from ActiveHistory.ca. Here's your host, Sean Graham. Thank you, Adam. Welcome to the History Slam, everybody. I am Sean Graham coming at you today nearly live from Ottawa, Ontario, where we are going to do a follow-up to an episode we did last year with Gregory Keeley on his book, The Many Deaths of Tom Thompson, because in Toronto currently there is an exhibition going on at the Art Embassy entitled Shadow Red, which is all about Tom Thompson. We are fortunate enough to be joined today by the artist of that exhibition, Martha Johnson, joining us live from a cemetery in southern Ontario. Martha, welcome to the show. Thank you, Sean. It's a pleasure to be speaking with you. And I have to say, this is the first time we've done an episode with somebody in a cemetery. <laughs> well, my last name is Johnson, and I happen to be looking at a, a couple of Johnson tombstones. That's just by happenstance. But, <laughs> but yes, here I am on this gorgeous um, early fall, late afternoon. Yeah, it's a, a beautiful day, certainly in Ontario. I feel bad for our friends out west. Apparently it was snowing in either Calgary or Edmonton again the pa- this past week, and I've been here complaining about how hot it is in, in eastern Ontario. I'm looking forward to, to talking about this exhibit because, as I said to you before we started to record, the art scene in Ottawa, I pay attention to it because I'm here and I can see a lot of it, but across the country I, I don't pay that much attention to it, so I'm happy that that I was informed about this exhibit about the Tom Thompson mystery because 2017 is the hundredth year anniversary of Tom Thompson's death, and whereas our episode with Gregory Keeley, he had written the book about the many deaths of Tom Thompson, the different theories behind the deaths, you have a very different perspective because you have a familial connection with Tom Thompson. Yes, my uncle on my dad's side, my uncle Bill who is more sort of formally known as Judge William T. Little, was sort of spearheading and and was the fellow in the hole in 1956, on Thanksgiving weekend in 1956. He discovered Tom, what we believe to be Tom Thompson's remains. I think my Uncle Bill was born in about 1911. I believe he was a counselor at the Taylor Staten camps on Canoe Lake. And that's kind of halfway, I think, maybe between, uh, Sean, between where I'm sitting and where you're sitting. Uh-huh. And, and he became really interested in um, the Thompson lore. And by the time he was up there on Canoe Lake at the camps, Thompson had been dead for a while. But the marvelous thing was most of the players that were friends with Thompson, knew Thompson, were still alive. And um, he was an impeccable researcher. Uncle Bill, or the judge, or W.T. Little, as Nancy Lang refers to him, and and he collected a, a tremendous amount of information, um, which was after after his discovery, and he had three other friends with him. In 1956, the NFB really became involved, and and after the NFB did a number of bits of films, he wrote a book called The Tom Thompson Mystery. Uh, published in 1970. Is this something that you and your uncle had talked about that you, like, like, at what point did you get interested in this whole story? Is it organically being picked up from him? Uh, it, it would have been organically picked up, absolutely. I mean, he was, this was always a little bit of a kind of an undercurrent in the family. His eldest son, Tom, is named after Tom Thompson, and I'm an adopted child 
not that that's anything much to do with anything. I had wonderfully loving parents, but um, I, I, am, I was born an artist. So uh, not that I was a curiosity, but I was, in any way, I was, it, it was really interesting, but my Uncle Bill and my cousins, Tom, Jane, Sally, and John have always been, you know, they always describe me as their artist cousin, Martha. <laughs> so there was this thread absolutely through our lives from the very beginning. So it, it seemed to be a natural pickup. I've, I've, I happen to have a copy of his book, book, The Tom Thompson Mystery, that was signed and to my mom and dad and to me. I considered it a family treasure. And a couple of years ago, I just decided to reread it again and realized, oh my goodness, this is 2017 will be the 100th anniversary of Thompson's death. And, and that's really the interesting part of this whole thing, is that you have this connection and, I mean, as you said before, we'll talk about the exhibit in more detail in, in a bit, but it takes a long time to put together an exhibit. This is not something that you could have just thought of, oh, it's January 2017, it's time to put together an exhibit about the 100th year anniversary. So this is obviously something that you have a tremendous background in and an interest in prior yeah. to this exhibit. And in in the fact that you're an artist, was that something that, that, that you already had this interest in this mystery and the idea of, of what happened to Tom Thompson? And, you know, so much of Canadian art is influenced by Tom Thompson and the Group of Seven. Is that something that for you as an artist, even before your exhibit here, that, that you were influenced by or, or took cues from his work? I would say that not every Canadian artist or painter, you know, I do painting, sculpture, I also do bits of installation, I use whatever medium will work to describe an idea, um, but I love painting out of doors, and not everybody's up for that, you know, hats blow off, I just was, took a group of people out with my very dear friends, Janice and Tony Cobb, out to Fogo Island, we had our second annual painting trip out there. And many hats were flying off because we had some windy days. We had gorgeous weather, but not everybody's interested in painting out of doors. It's it's not for the faint of heart. There can be bugs. There, you know, rocks and sand and bits and pieces can fly into your paint. You've got to be dressed in layers. Um, it's um, and I also grew up with a family cottage on Lake Rosso. It was an exquisite, um, very raw piece of land. Um, that was 11 acres, and that was sold about 30 years ago. It was it was called High Pines. That was the name of the property. Beautiful old, you know, arts and crafts log cabin. And I have to say, that's like the biggest heartbreak of my life. And and I think one of the ways you're absolutely right, Sean, in that notion of how you know it doesn't just this just doesn't come of oh I think this is a great idea I think I'll do this you know, last January. Um, it, this has been something, you know, all of these things are underground streams that at time maybe come up for air. And, you know, I thought about the loss of Thompson. Um, there's also a female character in the story, a woman named Winnie Trainer, who was a bit of a girlfriend to Thompson. I think, he, I think Thompson himself was maybe a little bit of a ladies' man. And, and you might say, my, my, I can only call it an assumption, and I don't like making assumptions, was that he was 
not as into Winnie as she might have been into him. I think she cared for him dearly, and Winnie's family was good to Tom. Mm. And uh, so, you know, there's a little bit of a sort of a feminine aspect to what I'm doing with my work, but I'm also dealing with, let's say, the loss of High Pines, the loss of the North for me, and in a way I'm thinking about the loss of Thompson. I'm not interested in recreating what uh, you know what he did. I'm not interested in sitting in that place. I think that's greatest, and I think some folks were doing that this summer. I'm I'm interested in those sort of emotional archetypes and why they're part of the Canadian landscape, why they become part of the Canadian artist experience. And I would say that our our panel last week um, we were lucky enough to have Stephen Ranger who's the vice president at Waddington's and he deals a lot with the contemporary Canadian art scene and he made a wonderful comment as this plane goes over by or over ahead overhead um, he made a wonderful comment that was that and I'm paraphrasing I'm sorry he's not with me right at the moment and I can't remember specifically, but he made a wonderful comment about the fact that Canadian art is and landscape painting, whatever that see, that landscape genre is, is has a conceptual element now. It 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 probably isn't enough to you know just paint trees. And I think if you asked even somebody that did just paint trees, they're going to say, you know, I had an experience with this tree in my childhood. You know, there there is an undercurrent, there is subtext, and there's an emotional depth to what landscape artists are doing in Canada. And I think that's, like, that's the excitement. How do we all sort of connect and how do our voices show up visually, let's say. Maybe they show up audibly, too. So I think it's wonderful that we're doing a radio interview about painting, a podcast about painting. Yeah. I think it's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that personal connection is so different from what we do as professional historians. If I can, I, I don't like that term, but I'm going to use it anyway. As professional historians, right? what we try and do so often is to separate ourselves to a certain degree from the people that we're studying, and we, you know, we, we under we try to understand them. I mean, it is a humanity after all. You want to understand the human element of what goes on in the past, but you don't want to get too close to it or too involved in it, right? You want to keep that objective distance from what you're studying, which it seems to me in, in the art that I've seen and, and just in listening to you talk as well, that artists or the, the best art has that personal connection and almost needs that or even you crave that and you really have to care about what it is that you're portraying in order to have it a, a, an emotive or an affective piece. I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. God knows over the years, you know, growing up, even my family would say, oh, you're just too, you're too sensitive, Martha. And, and I've had situations with friends that will just, you know, they, they stand sort of with their jaw agape, thinking, like, really? You went that far? Are you making this stuff up? Is that emotional content really there? They don't, I'm, I'm paraphrasing again. They won't really say that, but it, you can kind of tell by the look on somebody's face when you've just stepped into very um, deep territory, or you've you've gone swimming 
you're far beyond the infinity edge of the pool. You're out, you know, perhaps in a lake where the meteor hit a long, long time ago. And and I think that 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 is that sort of energetic flow is the is the connection for all artists. It's you know, I I certainly look for that, and I'm not satisfied unless you know the the, the sort of cream of the story come rises to the surface and I have an emotional understanding of what it is I'm I'm looking at. I've used I've used kind of maybe three sort of archetypes and they've become personal archetypes for me. In the story I've used the deer, the stag form, you know, a, a deer as a talisman. Um, I've used Winnie, I there's an object that um, is part of the installation that is actually a wedding dress that I found when I was in university. I went to I studied fine art at the University of Guelph, and um, I found this lovely tin silk wedding dress. You know, this would be like 1975 or something, and I've kept it in an ancient case that I, somebody was throwing out in one of my various. Um, living spaces in an apartment building that I lived in and, the, and both the wedding dress and the case come from about that time period. The, the leather valise or case that I've kept this wedding dress in all these years um, had white star, you know, not titanic stickers on it, but white star line stickers all over this case. And I've taken this wedding dress, I've put it on a Judy or a dress form, and it, and it typifies when Winnie's body to me. You know, it's 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 not an overly decorative dress. It's it's pretty. And and the last painting that I finished up at my family's property on Lake Rosso was um, a white pine. And that's another one of the sort of archetypes that shows up in this show. I see Tom as the white pine. I see myself a little bit as the white pine. And in fact, it's both the last oil painting that I produced because I now work pretty exclusively in acrylic when I'm painting. But on this wedding dress, I've taken ribbons and embroidery floss, and I've embroidered on the body of the dress, which is sort of a high-waisted wedding dress, I've embroidered and sort of laced in this one particular white pine. Um, and it goes back to even a that that tree, that idea, the metaphor of the tree of life. I mean, that even deep, goes deep back into Egyptian mythology. But you know, for me, that you know, some folks might say, "Oh my God, that's crazy!" Or, "Geez, that's deep." But or really, and I'll say, "Yes, really, yes." Well, I think when most people, or these people like me, go <laughs> who aren't overly sophisticated in the world of art go to an art show, for some reason my reaction or my expectation is always to see painting and paintings on the wall. And and as you said, I mean, this show has different types of material. So when people go to the show, what should their expectations be? And what, as the artist, are you trying to give them? Or, or what's sort of the overall thesis of the exhibit, if, if we could put it in those terms? I think I've worked myself through to rather a, a place of joy and 
beauty with this, I'm, I'm hoping, and I've been grateful that I've been getting lovely feedback. But um, you're absolutely right, Sean. I've put in some pieces of sculpture. I, there's a life-size stag form that is covered in red Hudson's Bay blankets. In other words, it's, it's, it, think of it as a taxidermy form. It's this beautiful um, deer that, again, life-size, so let's say about, oh, 50 inches high, 30 inches wide, 60 inches long. And, and one of the other sort of aspects to this show and to my life is I've had this, you know, I'll call it a blanket fetish, uh, and in particular a Hudson's Bay blanket fetish my entire life. You know, my mom, as an only child and a girl, I had these delicious um, point blanket parkas, you know, that the, that very typical parka, parka that we think of, that like, kind of a white or cream background and those beautiful point stripes that um, one is yellow, one is a sort of a phthalo synthetic green, one is this kind of gorgeous alizarin crimson red, which also ties into this the title of the show, Shadow Red, and the other color is black. And and I've had friends collecting blankets for me, and I've been collecting them. And one of the centerpieces of the exhibition, well, really sort of the centerpiece and the invitation that you may have seen in the information that's been sent up to you, are these four panels of these four diggers. Mm-hmm. And they are four blankets. And the reason for those blankets is because when Thompson's body was discovered floating in Canoe Lake in 1917, um, his, the, his friends and colleagues covered his body with a blanket and likely, um, you know, could have been a Hudson's Bay blanket or perhaps a bird's woolen mill blanket. And that was a small wool factory that is not open any longer but uh, was in um, Bracebridge, Ontario. So very close to Canoe Lake and Algonquin Park. Yeah, so uh, so that creates that very personal experience, right? It, and, and the sense I get just from reading the material they sent me is that that is a way to almost personalize that experience, that when people go, they see the blanket, they, they see the... It, it's not... I, I mean, blankets, of course, everyone has a blanket, everyone has felt a blanket before, but to see it in the context of a death and that this is used to cover somebody up, it creates a very different experience, I assume, for for you as the artist and then for the visitor in the exhibit to see it and to see it within that context. So there's a, a, a much more emotive reaction, I imagine, than seeing in a book, oh, they covered him with a blanket. Uh, I, yes, and, and some of the comments that I've been getting are, oh, 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 this is, oh, oh, that's why the image looks a little different on the invitation. Or, why did we do this? Or, oh my God, this must have been hard to do. And I I think there's an aspect of producing visual art, you know, or certainly, I'll say that I acknowledge that as, as a working visual artist in Canada, it, you know, there's, there's a, there's a bit of a, I think, a bit of a cultural attitude in general. Get the cabin up before the snow flies, let's say. You know, that maybe visual art is a bit of a luxury. But, it, you know, historically, if we look back, there were always artists on ships 
and um, look at the you look at the caves at Moscow. People have created images. It's it's a way of it, let's say it's wayfinding. You know, it's cultural wayfinding, and it's not necessarily all that easy to be a visual artist in Canada. We don't have a big population, but we have great stories to honor and. You know, I guess that's sort of why it was important to me to, you know, honor my Uncle Bill, the judge. Um, and, and I think one of your questions was sort of uh, what we're talking about is this sort of thing about back to this blanket that it's a little bit tough, you know. It, it was tough to work on that surface. I feel a little bit like Werner Herzog. I hate it, but I love it. And... You, you, it's been a pleasure, and I'm not going to stop working on blankets. I mean, it has a, a deeper sort of resonance to my work as well, too, but in this case, I think it was a really appropriate material. So not all the paintings are on blankets, but it was an appropriate material to incorporate into this body of work. And I think that leads to, to something you mentioned earlier, that you feel as though this exhibit has a more feminine approach, especially in, in the realm of Tom Thompson's, the, or the legacy of Tom Thompson, which has been studied a lot by men, as I mentioned, the episode we did with Gregory Keeley and, and the book that he wrote on the different theories. Certainly a lot of it has been governed by male voices, and now here you are taking a more feminine approach to it. And, and I'm just curious, is as to what that means to you in, in terms of putting a more feminine approach on it. Is it is it related to the materials? Is it perspective? Uh, I'm just curious for you, how, how do you define that feminine aspect of this show? Well, I th I'm, I'm interested in not answering all the questions. In fact, I'm not sure I'm answering any questions. I'm just paying homage to the players. Um, you know, um, I'm, I suppose I'm paying homage to Tom in that I'm using one of his favorite colors, alizarin crimson. He used to stain canvases that color. And, and pigments continue to change. Alizarin crimson in his day is a, is a different pigment now or a different set of pigments. It's actually a mixed color. And, and then I've even modernized it a little more by using some fluorescent pigments uh, and, and quinacridone magentas. So it's a little brighter, maybe a little fresher, a little pinker, if you will, in a certain way. I can see just by my approach with some of the subject matter, and I have taken old Polaroids that I took in the 70s that are now the colors really deeply saturated and, and, and the images become very soft, and I've made those were those were um, photographs of flowers up at my family's property, high pines, and I've made some paintings from those. I've used um, surfaces like mylar to keep that to keep that softness. And you know, maybe ten years ago, you might have I, I might have answered by saying I'm not interested in in being a female artist. I, you know, I I like sort of running down the middle of things. Can you tell? Is the work is the work done by a woman or a man. But right now, I, I love the fact that I'm a woman artist and I've taken this softer approach, let's say, um, and I'm liking the idea of not drawing assumptions. 
I w- however, I will say I'm pretty sure that's Thompson. That is Thompson. In those are his bones in the grave, the original grave at Canoe Lake. But then, in the I, in the concept of you, you're not really interested in, in answering a lot of the questions. As a visitor to the exhibit, or even or the historian in me, you know, it's not that you know we always want answers and definitive answers to things, but within this area where there's a lot of uncertainty as to Tom Thompson and what his or how he died and and that process, which has to a certain degree influenced his legacy, an exhibit like this would a visitor not come in expecting some answers? You know, they might, and I get, I can't know what they're coming in with. If I'm there in the gallery, and I'm going to be um, doing an artist talk this coming Wednesday on the 27th of September, um, you know, I can, I'll be able to answer questions for them if I can answer them. I think that mystery is a great ancient thing to be respected. You know, the Greeks would and the Egyptians would talk about sort of mystery cults. And we can see maybe even figures in our own current history that are perhaps going to become, let's say, in a way, sort of legend, and and stories will spark up about them, and and they will they will take on a different sort of character than what maybe their life was actually like. So I'm quite okay with saying this is the work that I've produced and I'm I just want you to enjoy the beauty of it and and take what you will from it. Um, in there's a, another piece that I produced on I think that one of the oldest Hudson's Bay blankets. So uh, you know again I'm talking about that idea that this really is a 100-year-old story. You know, how can I pull it forward? How can I bring it forward? How can I, you know, maybe enhance that shadow or echo of what the group of seven produced? How, you know, how can how can the landscape maybe live in our on in our hearts and and maybe even on our walls? Some of the imagery that I've produced and some of the ideas that I've worked with. And and it this the the one piece that I'm sort of referencing this that's on this very ancient blanket. I've taken um, a drawing of a, a a stag head or a deer head, and I've used and everybody's been asking me this. Did you sew all those things on? I it it is a colored visual of a stag head, and it's all glass beads. So it's almost what we refer to in the business as a bas relief. It's it's almost sculptural, and then you know, glass trading beads and and the history of the wool blanket in this country. That's that's bringing up something else as well too. And then the fact that I sort of beaded this entire piece has to do with that idea of women and quilting, you know, or women's work, bead work. And that handwork, and I see that as and I've been looking at quilts a bit lately, partly because of my trips out to Fogo Island, and there are many quilt makers out of, out out in Fogo, and 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 most of them are women, and I 
was saying to them um, when I was out there about a month ago, I was saying, you know, you guys are just painting with fabric. That's, you know, I, like, I respect the medium entirely. But, oh, have I made a sentence there? I'm yeah. not sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, I think it's, it's I think it's a good point to to make. So one of the things that is really interesting to me is the idea of as you're talking about the connection to the nature and, and this whole environmental thing that we have, and certainly the group of seven popularized a lot of nature art and and the idea of taking images from the outdoors and and popularizing that imagery. And and it's not just an art that this is a thing. Certainly, so much of the Canadian mythology is based upon the outdoors and the environment, and, and some of that is certainly the north, but there's also the idea of, you know, lakes and trees and rocks and all, all that stuff, right? We're a very environmentally conscious country in terms of our, our imagery and, and the way we present ourselves nationally, but certainly the environment of 1917 that Tom Thompson had is very different than the, envi- the environment of 2017 because over the past hundred years we have done a lot that has been detrimental to the environment. Some of it intentionally, some of it not intentionally. Mass urbanization and the expansion of cities and suburbs and all that. The, the whole environment has changed. So for you as an artist putting together this exhibit and touching in or tapping into the story of Tom Thompson and this whole environmental aspect of things, how do you confront the changing idea of the outdoors and the changing environment in which we live and therefore in which you are putting together an exhibit based off of a lot of that previous environmental work? Oh, boy, I think that's wonderfully huge as a topic. Um, and, and as a concept, as an idea. Um, I can say that, you know, this, this exquisite family property, and I talk to folks all the time, it's, oh, yeah, we had one of those, too. I felt like the custodian of High Pines, and yet, you know, lifetime visual artist, no financial way to keep it in the family. Um, so, it, you know, in, if I say the loss of the North, that means that's, that's one little statement about me and about my persona. Um, and then if, if we go back to, let's say, 1917, um, I think that there was a ton of logging that was happening at that time. That's, you know, the north was being plumbed for, um, it, you know, its resources. Um, I will, I'll, I'll, I'm kind of, I'm not sure I'm even going to answer this in a very specific way, but I, I say often folks don't understand the group of seven or let's call it Canadian Impressionism unless you've sat in Algoma in November. You know, that, and let's think about, I mean, Algoma being a big mining area. Uh, so I think the landscape has been, has, is, is constantly in flux and change. And, and I would agree with your I, I like the bent of your question because I'm always interested in the environment. I'm, you know, we're just having our chat, and and my bike is sitting beside me, uh, as you know, in the cemetery, and I love it in the cemetery in Toronto because it's quiet and it's an arboretum, and you know, so it's sort of a living tree zoo, let's say. Um, I think that the the group of seven would probably say. 
and and their intention in a way was to noble-eyes or romanticize a lot of the North and intentionally remo- remove the human element um, in the story. In other words, a lot of their work uh, and a lot of landscape painting is not figure in the landscape or for the group of seven was not figure in the landscape. Um, uh, I'm, I guess I'm choosing the deer as a bit of a talisman to talk about that custodianship. Um, you know, I keep bringing it back to the personal and I hope that's okay because that's the place that I painted from. Uh, the year that, that this family property was sold, um, there was a, a deer carcass found on, on the property and it was just savaged and decimated. I sort of took that as a bad omen and I think that's, you know, that something was, you know, I, I, I couldn't have imagined that this glorious place was not going to be in my life physically always and I, I think I probably look at this glorious green blue earth as let's hope we can maintain it let's hope we can maintain it can't can't we can we just all walk a little more if we are able to walk um, and and be gentler to the environment um, and Yes, I would absolutely say that that was another one of those underwater rivers that's running through the way I think and what I do. We can all just drive a little west and, and just be a little more thoughtful. Um, it, would, it, would be, it would be good for everybody. Mm-hmm. Under reset. So in, in that vein, and I don't know if this is conscious, and, and certainly you can answer it better than I can, whether for Tom Thompson, the group of seven, if, if you know, but for you personally then, when you're doing this work that is environmental or it does it does represent the environment in some way, is it a conscious call to action? And not even in a political sense versus, uh, on environmental issues, but sort of a, the, this, I, I always, when I see a lot of environmental work and the especially lakes. I, I like paintings of the stillness of, of lakes for some reason. But when I see that, to me, it's a call to action from the artist. Again, I don't know if it's intentional or not, to preserve it and to say, this is serene, this is beautiful. We have to work to make sure that this is what it is. And, and when, for you, in your work and, and in your understanding of Thompson and the Group of Seven, was that ever a part of what that art was about? I think it has to be, and it's probably so much a part of, I can only speak for myself, my genetic makeup, um, or my, you know, if I go bugger bugger on you, my soul's makeup, but uh, it, it, it is implied and there in every stroke. And it, I think that you know, loving our home and and looking after our home, you know, and you and you can bring that back to saying looking after our own physical forms just benefits everybody. I mean, just as I, I mean, this is in a way I think this is the most perfect place for me to be doing this podcast with you, Sean, looking at these deep, glorious, ancient living trees 
all around me, all, and as I mentioned before, you know, Mount Pleasant Cemetery is an arboretum. And it's not only the tree above the ground that I'm looking at, it's that old expression of as above, so below. It is such a magnificent whole um, and such a, a, a stunning system. Boy, when we, we try and straighten out the rivers, we can make a real mess of things. Mm. Yes, I, my bet is the, that was a part of what the Group of Seven was doing, and I, I, mean, I don't mean to be sounding sour, but I would say I would, I would humble myself to say I, I'm in awe of what's around me. And I'm also fascinated by that process of, okay, right now I'm looking at this gorgeous maple, and I don't know if it's a Norwegian maple, I think it might not be, I think it's something else, but that idea of looking at it and then reproducing it so that somebody else can recognize it. Um, I think I'm going off on a tangent for you, but that that's a mysterious process, that process of art making, whether you're doing something representational or emotional or somewhat abstract, um, it, it's a stunning process, and it's a very human process, and I'm going to say it's not straightening out the rivers. It's letting, it's, it's letting the systems work, letting nature work, nature works really well. I mean, sometimes it can seem vicious, as we're just seeing in Mexico City and in the Caribbean and around the southern U.S., Oh, it's a big topic. Oh my goodness, it's a tangent. I better stop now. <laughs> no, no, it, it's really interesting to to talk about, especially in the context of the hundredth anniversary of Tom Thompson's death. And it, it almost seems to me as a, a reminder or a message or, or whatever term you want to use that his death has been popularized, and there's so much around the the death and sort of what happened that day that he died that to some extent and for some people has overshadowed some of what his work was about and it's almost like taking on this naturalist approach to it can help remind us of why Tom Thompson was notable in the first place. Certainly there was a lot of notoriety surrounding his death and almost a scandalous aspect to it but the reason people knew who he was, even if he wasn't as famous in life as he ended up being in death, was because of his work. And his work was a lot about the nature. So this return to a naturalist perspective, to me, helps inform the exhibit and helps inform the whole anniversary around his death. I would, I would say, I would say yes. I think his, you know, some would say untimely death, rather like Jean-Michel Basquiat, He's a young man. I believe he was about 38 when Thompson, when Thompson died. I think he was about 38. Um, it, you know, maybe that was a little bit of taking one for the team. Maybe that was the sort of, not to be funny, but the eye of the hurricane around certainly by no means the start of visual art in, in you know, in Canada. You, you cannot, um, get away from, uh, not that one would want to get away from, in fact, one needs to, like, we have to ab absolutely um, express and hold this reverence 
any um, Aboriginal work. I mean, that comes before. And when, uh, to me, to my mind, one of the most beautiful things about Aboriginal work is it's not influenced by Western culture in any way. And that that's profoundly original. And uh, but but if if Thompson is one of the key figures that sort of galvanizes a Canadian art movement, certainly now you know Steve Martin, you know who introduced. As he was, as he said in his um, talk about a year ago at Roy Thompson Hall, he thought he was going to show Lauren Harrison Canadian art to the Americans, and he was being funny and ironic and and sort of flippant about that. But maybe, maybe Thompson's death and and all of that mystery and intrigue—if that gets sucked into getting into looking at paintings and then looking at nature and and seeing that exquisite exquisite core of beauty and constant change and color and form then when when he's he's like the toe in the door he's the guy that gets you in and you know and then you get to look at Lauren Harris, or wonderful Arthur Lismer, who makes, you know, I love Lismer because Lismer's paintings are total discovery and invention and mess. And and then that pulls you on further into some of the Quebec artists and, and Fortin and and Robert and, and then move into, you know, more contemporary work. You know, I... Um, I was lucky enough to be mentored by uh, one of the painters, Eleven, Tom Hodgson. And, you know, there's a Canadian artist that wasn't particularly interested in the landscape other than kayaking and canoeing. But the painter. We're on a tangent again, John. No, no this is good. Bring me back. <laughs> so, no, this is, this is great. And, well, with that then, good. would you say that modern art Canadian art in 2017 is strong in comparison to what it was 100 years ago. You know, that, that group of seven and people like Tom Thompson are so recognizable and so much in the Canadian consciousness of what art is. Is, is Canadian art, with with some of the people you referenced, and, and certainly there's sort of a, I think there's a, a, a renewed interest in, in art, and I think indigenous artists have been more well received recently than they have in the past and there's been a lot of really great work that's come out but is it all sort of out of that lineage of the group of seven and and certainly this exhibit obviously is but on a, on a larger macro scale i you know i think you have to acknowledge first nations aboriginal people initially in this country and and the profound statements that are being produced visually, um, absolutely. Um, I, I, I think that this is more power to our culture, and our and culture is music, writing, painting. It, it's everything that we produce that is unique, and and I want to keep it on a positive note, you know, and keep that, you know, keep that sort of that universal positivity that it. It is it's our culture, and we need to treasure that 
God, and saying that is a question. We need to treasure. We need to treasure that. No more so than at this particular point in time, because we have an entirely unique culture, and maybe it is first informed by the landscape itself, by the nature of the landscape, by the Saint Lawrence, by um, uh, you know the Great Lakes, by the prairies, by the Rockies, by the north by the Arctic, um, and, and coming right back down the coast of Newfoundland. We are so defined by our landscape. Even when I'm teaching people mating, I often use a lot of earth pigment colors, and I say, listen, you are what you eat. Well, we're using some of these greens that look like broccoli. <laughs> 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 you know, we're the people of the landscape, too. Not that we're a race of green people, or a, a country, I should say, a country of green people. Um, that's a that there I go off again. But you know, we are we're defined by our landscape. We are defined by where we live and our weather. You know, I guess that's partly why my interest in blankets. My goodness, yes. Sure, yeah. I mean people in people who cl- live close to the equator certainly don't have the same need for blankets as we do. No, <laughs> and they see more I can always tell when I've got a student that that comes from a warmer climate because they're interested first in hot, crazy bright color. And uh. my, I have some dear friends that live in the Caribbean, and I, I get to visit them every once in a while. And, and it took me a long time of painting in the Caribbean. It took me a while to let the landscape, let the drum talk back to me and say, okay, these are the colors. Because I initially approached it if I was, if I was doing a, a sort of a beach rock painting, it, it might have looked like, you know, Lake Rosso, Lake of Bays, Canoe Lake, rather than the, you know, the Medi- uh, rather than the Caribbean, you know, because I, I, that color, that, that beautiful turquoise sea color wasn't yet a part of my consciousness. I I love the landscape talking back to me. I I love taking my cues and listening. And and when I had my book of folks out in Fogo, and sometimes I'm painting down in New Brunswick, and I'll say, okay, let the landscape tell you what it is. It's not what you think it is. Let it report to you. And I think that might even be that, you know, yes, Thompson's death is mysterious and interesting and intriguing, but Geez, he's a really fine, fine, exciting painter. Mm. A really exciting painter. Yeah, and that's what this exhibit is all about. So the exhibit, again, is Shadow Red. It is on right now until October the 1st at Art Embassy in Toronto. And for those in Toronto, Martha, where exactly is Art Embassy? I that's the lovely um, old um, industrial kind of leaside Thorncliffe Park area. So, okay. sorry about this. It involves Eglinton, and <laughs> we've got to get a little bit west of Eglinton and a little bit west of the Grand Valley. <laughs> oh, yeah, and, and it's there. The gallery is open 12 to 5 every day, and there is, as you yep. mentioned, the artist talk on Wednesday, September 22nd, or 27th, excuse me, which is the day that this episode is going to go live. So if you hear this in the morning of the 27th, get over to Art Embassy 
and you can listen to Martha uh, give her talk and, and interact, ask questions, and see the exhibit. That is from 10 to noon on the morning of September the 27th. And again, the exhibit Shadow Red at our embassy in Toronto until October the 1st. Martha Johnson, uh, you can also find her work at marthajohnson.ca, all of her work. You got a whole bunch of stuff here, Martha, I have to say. There, there's a whole bunch. New work, Ken Island, floral, figurative landscape. Uh, Grand Man in Ireland, Survey the Valley, Photography Wild, like, oh my goodness, when do you take a break? Not very often. So you can find all of Martha's work there, marthajohnson.ca. And very thrilled to have had you on the show. Martha, thank you so much for taking the time today. Oh, absolutely, my pleasure. A pleasure, absolutely, Sean. Thank you. If you have any questions or comments for the podcast, searchtreeslam at gmail.com. Twitter is at Dr. Shawnee Fever. And if you're out and you see Enrico Palazzo, please say hi for me. Thanks for listening to the History Slam podcast. Be sure to check out Active History for more features, articles, and be sure to subscribe on iTunes.